Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Jeff Saturday, one and oh. You know, I almost forgot that, like, oh yeah, there will be a football game being played on Sunday. Um, just an absurd week. I was exhausted when 4 o'clock rolled around. I looked like Matt Ryan after that run, after that 39-yard scramble. That's how I felt on Sunday. But nonetheless, the Colts go into Las Vegas and get a 25-20 victory and simply look like the better-coached football team. I'm Kevin Bowen, back another edition of Kevin's Corner. Eddie Garrison's across the way. Um, it feels good, Eddie, to recap like an actual football game. Yes, yes, it does. It's right. nice to see that all that, or nice to talk about something that's not about all the drama from last week and about an actual W that the Colts got. You think we'll actually get like a Wednesday afternoon pod in, like the normal schedule that we've thought about for several weeks now? Yeah, right. I'm are we done so. with the massive news breaking items that have led to our Tuesday emergency pods here in recent weeks? Um, that is the expectation as the Colts get ready for the Philadelphia Eagles now coming up in week 11. Um, obviously, a whole lot to get to on today's pod. What I liked, what I didn't like from yesterday. Um, some Twitter questions. I feel like Twitter questions will let us get a little bit more big picture. Yes. I, I noticed towards the back half of that, a lot of reactionary stuff still from the press conference from last week, um, which is fine. Um, I do want to make sure that early on, Eddie, and you know, I'll try and do my best job at it, is just let's live in that Sunday bubble. You guys hear me often talk about... Result versus performance. You know, that that's a common thing that I always want to try and achieve on the Monday podcast is the result is you got a win in one of the more chaotic weeks you'll ever see in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You got a road win. Um, Performance-wise, it came against a very dysfunctional operation, a team that is cracking at the seams. I'm a little bit shocked Josh McDaniel still has a job. As of Monday morning, we'll see how that plays out over the course of the day. Um, and again, we'll get to the stuff probably more on the Wednesday pod of, is this the interim jolt? Is this what we saw with Carolina that first game when you know Steve Wilkes became the interim? Um, how will you look against the Eagles and the Vikings and the Cowboys and the Giants? I mean, there are some big-time opponents left this season. But in the here and now of what happened, what I saw yesterday out of the Colts was, Again, a better coach football team. I saw a team that we can throw in the caveat all throughout the podcast of, it's the Raiders, it's the Raiders. I'm not going to repeat that time and time again, but I'll mention it out of the gate. But you know what, Eddie? You play the team that shows up on your schedule, and what did the Colts do? They had a lead after the first quarter, after the second quarter, after the third quarter, and then to end the game. And they hadn't done that all season. They got off to a 10 nothing lead. for, And I'm thinking to myself, wait, is that right? Is that score bug correct? Did the Colts <laughs> really have a 10 nothing lead here? Um, they just responded really, really well. And I just kind of wanted to mention that out of the gate because um, the Raiders look like a team that is not cohesive. Again, breaking. You look at the penalty numbers, that probably tells the entire story of the game. 
Colts had four for 25. Raiders had 10 for 74. In a game that comes down to what, the final 20 yards or wherever that drive mm-hmm. ended for the Raiders, you don't think 49 yards and penalties you know, is a huge, huge difference. So, um, First time leading after the first quarter since week three against Kansas City. Uh, first double-digit lead since December 18th of 2021 against the New England Patriots. That was uh, 331 days ago from today on Monday. Uh, 207 rushing yards against the Razors, also the most rushing yards in the game since the Patriots game. And then first halftime lead since Christmas of 2021 against the Arizona Cardinals, which was 324 days from today. I found this really tough balance for me to try and achieve over the past week, Eddie, of I felt like the results told me that players were no longer responding to Frank Reich's leadership. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't say that with gobs and gobs of conviction, which makes me it makes it difficult for me to say because I I want to have strong conviction. You know, when I say things, I don't want to just say say stuff just to say it. Um, but I think the results indicated that you just rattled off all those stats, which would clearly indicate that. Um, and I just feel like you needed. A jolt. You needed new energy. You needed new life. You need a new type of message. We had Joe Wrights on our morning show today. So we'll see if Joe Wrights gets an NFL head coaching job later today, like Jeff Saturday did last <laughs> Monday. But we had Joe Wrights on, and you know, Joe is he would admit this. He's typically a pretty I think optimistic individual when it comes to answers, not one that likes to toe the line on a whole lot of controversy. And so I put him in a position where I said more or less, do you think NFL players gravitate more towards the leadership style of a Frank Reich or a Jeff Saturday? And he said, a little reluctantly, but his words were enough for, for me, probably Jeff Saturday. And I think that's true. You can obviously have successful head coaches that do come from a Frank Reich temperament, um, Tony Dungy and Jim Caldwell being two of those individuals. But I think given the Colts situation right now, they need Saturday maybe more than I even realized it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked with some players recently from previous eras, and they said when you had Dungy and you had Polian, or excuse me, when you had Dungy and you had Caldwell, you had Polian that was kind of striking fear into the organization, and you had a locker room that was extremely accountable, extremely with their best players. Jeff Saturday being a big part of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the same thing here. With this current group, in the in the entire operation, when you factor in the locker room, you factor in the GM. So, from that head coach position, when the results don't lead to anything different in the process, the message can become stale rather quick. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just inevitably over time you get there. It's year just, five, you know. It's just a human way. Yeah, too. it's just a human. Yeah, human nature, human element. That's a really good way to put it. Um, and I thought what Jeff Saturday did a tremendous job of, and I want to make sure I mention this because we didn't have that Wednesday pod. Sam Ellinger used a word in the locker room on Wednesday that really stood out to me. I expected to hear from players that their initial impression of Jeff Saturday was intensity, high energy, juice, all those words. Sam Ellinger used the word transparent. And I thought Saturday had an unbelievable grasp last week of walking into that room and basically addressing the elephant in the room right away. Mm-hmm. Guys, I get how this looks. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to run from it. I know my resume does not indicate 
that I should be in this sort of position right now. And I've got to earn your trust. But I'm here because I care about the organization, and I believe that I can lead. Um, and I think players, that's a smart Colts locker room. There's a lot of high-character individual guys in there. Um, they were going to see through any BS if you walked in there and be like, you guys suck, I'm here for a reason, you know, we're all running sprints and, you know, doing this, or, you know, whatever macho coach personality comes. But I think when you hear Saturday talk, you hear a genuine leader. And he sounds and he acts, and he is different than Frank Reich in many, many ways. Um, Ellinger had another quote after the game that Zach Kiefer had in his story. And I'll use this now to gain credit to Zach for this. We had a lot of really good X and O's coaches, but I think what Jeff brought was more energy. It's hard to describe exactly. That fight, the toughness, the accountability, calling guys to play better, not being afraid to say something, not being too nice. All things that we have discussed on the negative aspect of Frank Reich in comparison to some of the newer coaches in today's NFL. Yeah, I'll probably save this for the bye week, Eddie. But at some point, I am going to post a story, and I've pretty much written the entire thing, of what should the coach, what should the Colts be looking for in their new head coach? And atop that list is the CEO leader role. I've long been a believer in that. It's probably been my biggest question with Reich, and just is too much on his plate. Mm-hmm. And you can obviously see coaches around the league that do call plays that have success, but I think you find more that have a long-standing amount of success when they're not in those roles, because those roles are so monumental, so paramount to in-game success that you have to concentrate so much, you just kind of lose sight on other things that are happening around you. Um, I think it's really difficult for a coach to achieve that, and I think Saturday brings that of just, hey, I'm going to set the tone, I'll let Gus Bradley continue to operate how he's doing, same with Bubba Ventrone, and obviously, I'll help a little bit more out with Parks Frazier and company. So yeah, I just wanted to begin there. Um, certainly, Jeff Saturday's tweet about the Raiders being terrible, it's <laughs> true. Um, I didn't think anything was too alarming from a coaching standpoint. Like, the management was pretty good. Um, the operation... The use of the challenge flag. The use of the challenge, you know, clock issues. Like, I didn't see that. Um, if I'm going to nitpick maybe one area, it was not taking a timeout there late. You, you let about 40 seconds run off the clock there late that I thought could have been um, costly. Uh, had the Raiders scored there. Um, had some explosive plays offensively, four plays over 30 yards. Yeah, I do want to get to Parks Frazier here. Uh, but I guess just any other overall thoughts, Eddie, before we get into – um, what I like, but I guess we're kind of focusing on Saturday-related stuff. Uh, just a couple of quick trends. Last three games from Matt Ryan, uh, Paris Campbell has 32 targets, 24 catches, 203 yards, and three touchdowns. Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, has 34 targets, 245 yards on 26 catches, but zero touchdowns. So looks like Pittman is no longer the clear-cut favorite target of Matt Ryan, and it, Paris Campbell is starting to get – uh, some more trust from Matty Ice. Yeah, and I think, you know, you saw it on the catch and run for the touchdown. I mean, you're trying to get him the ball in space there. And I thought that was another play of like, yeah, that was a nice play, nice throw by Matt Ryan, but it was also Paris Campbell then showing off his speed post-catch to record that that touchdown. 
Um, All right. So you already you already mentioned that you liked what you saw from Parks Frazier, unless you have one more thing here. Yeah, I just got one more thing overall. And I do want to focus on Parks once we get into what I liked. Um, but I'll reiterate what what I said at the start of like, and I know this will come back up with Twitter questions, but there's certainly an element that you leave yesterday with of like, was this two dysfunctional teams and the Colts were less dysfunctional than the Raiders? Um, you know, how do you respond to that moving forward when you're playing better football teams? You know, the Raiders have, they just, every time a little adversity hit them in the game yesterday, it just seemed like they were whining and pouting. And I just didn't feel that way about the Colts. I thought they responded in much more of a mature way and just kind of banded together. Um, obviously, it's still a really close game at the end. And, you know, if Michael Pittman, if that fumble, if the Raiders just fall on it, they might win the football game, mm-hmm. which uh, would have been a shame. But, um, you know, the Colts are still a, a flawed football team in a lot of ways. Um, but I think for Monday, November 14th, and again, a week unlike anything else, I think you celebrate a win. And I know that we'll have people, and obviously I have made it very clear that I think the long-term approach should always be viewed. Um, but I thought the players kind of deserved some credit for how they handled all of this. And to get that win, to get that jolt, now play the Eagles at home on a short week, You know, Jeff Saturday in the building, it's going to be, I think, a pretty good atmosphere on Sunday afternoon inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. You still got a long way to go before we start talking about the Colts and playoffs and this and that. There are obviously big franchise questions that remain, but in the immediate aftermath of everything that happened, Jeff Saturday's football team was coached better than the Raiders. And I also think some credit, and again, I think any time you isolate credit for an individual, people assume, oh, you're obsessed with that person. I think what you saw yesterday was a Chris Ballard high-character football team of when adversity hits, how do individuals react? And I thought you saw immaturity from the Raiders and maturity from the Colts. And I think when you have the focus on wanting to draft high-character players and you largely carry that out, when stuff like this happens, you have a better chance to have a football team, again, band together and stick with it, even if they were skeptical, and they were, of the move and how everything unfolded here over the past few weeks. Uh, Which is kind of jarring from the Raiders' perspective when you look at them last year, overcoming all the adversity they did to make that run to get into the playoffs and then compete with the Bengals and almost knock the Bengals out of the playoffs, and then they go on to compete in the Super Bowl. Sure. Without a doubt. Um, Uh, One final thought from me – I thought that Pittman fumble, I thought it was an incomplete pass. I didn't think he got enough done to complete the process of a catch. Yeah. I was a little surprised they didn't review it. Yeah, they, they stuck with the fumble. Again, predicting a fumble or a catch in the NFL is like predicting what Jim Irsay is going to do tomorrow. Yeah. So good luck with that. Um, I did think when they slowed the replay down, I thought I saw at least two, maybe a third step, and he kind of put the ball away. It was bang, bang. I thought the biggest issue was going to be there. And again, Pittman, credit to him for getting back on it, of course. Yeah. The biggest issue there was would you have had enough evidence to overturn it? Mm-hmm. You know, The fact that you called it a fumble on the field certainly would not have helped out Pittman's cause. So um, again, we can get into that stuff. That's probably more of what I didn't like from yesterday, but let's start with uh, what I liked. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Parks Frazier. Eddie, I thought of the three, the big three, Saturday, Ryan, and Frazier. That's the one that I was impressed with the most in Parks Frazier. In that, you know, you think about how the quarterback timeline unfolded for the Colts. Sam Ellinger is a starter on Monday. Um, I had heard some whispers at that Thursday practice that Matt Ryan's first day back, he was starting to get some starting reps. Mm-hmm. But like at some point, Jeff Saturday did not fully commit to Matt Ryan, if you believe the timeline, until after Friday's final practice of the week. So Parks Frazier probably was juggling multiple game plans mm-hmm. to a degree. And those are two very different style quarterbacks in Ellinger and Ryan. I thought you saw the simplification of the offense big time. I thought you committed to heavy pass protection. You chipped Max Crosby a good amount, and you got the ball out. I want to say Ryan got it out the third fastest of anybody in the NFL yesterday. So very quick rhythm with that. Yeah, not a whole lot down the field vertical. But what Matt, what Parks Frazier is pretty much saying is the Raiders' pass rush stinks. Their linebacker core is decimated. Let's just methodically get the ball in the hands of our playmakers and make the Raiders go tackle them. Mm-hmm. And they struggled in that area with tackling. Um, run game-wise, I thought you kind of eventually wore them down. You know, Taylor didn't have instant success by any means, but you committed to it, you stayed with it, and I just you were wait I, I don't know about you. You were waiting for the third quarter home run yep i was like is it gonna come in the third or the fourth i guess it came at the end of the third but it just seemed like they were cracking those linebackers were not filling lanes the d-line was just getting worn down i was just waiting for it um great balance certainly um from them um i think it was 208 it was either 208 passing or 207 rushing um rushing got some guys in space your grandson made a nice play in space. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good individual effort by him. You know, Campbell, of course, made a couple of plays in space. And I thought you handled the late half situation really well. That was a big moment there, late half, where you got the ball. The Raiders scored on the Moreau touchdown with 58 seconds to go in the half. I was curious how the Colts would play that out. Yeah. And, you know, you ran it late in that drive to get into field goal range for Chase McLaughlin hit that 48-yarder at the buzzer. And just for some reason, 10-7 and 13-7 felt different to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but it felt different mm-hmm. to me. Um, you know, the other thing that I think stood out to me, Eddie, about simplifying things, I laughed at first and goal QB sneak for the touchdown. <laughs> I did too. Nothing says we're not messing around here like that. Like, we are going with the play that has the highest success rate on first and goal from the one-yard line, and our 37-year-old quarterback is going to QB sneak it with Michael Pittman pushing him into the end zone. Finally. That wasn't just like a generic QB sneak. That was kind of the new trend that you're seeing here. Um, So, yeah, I just wanted to credit Parks Frazier. Like, he he was a man of his word. He said he'd simplify some things. I think you saw that. Um, I thought... You didn't see substitution penalties. You didn't see delay of games. You didn't see them having to take a ton of timeouts. Illegal motion, anything like that. Take a ton of timeouts. You know, if you want to nitpick again, the two-point conversion stuff, uh, both teams really struggled in that area. Um, But really, what held this offense back, I thought, was the Kiki Kiki Kuti fumble Mm -hmm. and the Matt Ryan sack. And again, we can get into those in things I didn't like. 
But those two drives should have been scoring drives. Oh, yes. So if you look at it, that would be, I think, seven of the ten real drives you had were scoring drives. Um, obviously, throwing the caveat of the opponent. We can do that all throughout the podcast. But for a 30-year-old in his first ever play calling of the situation, hat tip to Parks Frazier. Yep. Uh, Matt Ryan was seven years old when he was born. <laughs> that is crazy. Crazy. Um, for me, when I was listening and watching the game yesterday, I was like, okay, good first quarter. Now let's see how it goes. Because, you know, the usually those first 15 plays or so are scripted out. You plan for those ahead of the game. And it's like everything after that is when a play caller really becomes into a play caller. So then I was like, okay, this is good. He's sticking with what he's doing. Right. You know, give it to Taylor. And then get the ball out of your hands quick. We saw some couple, couple screens in the game yesterday, too. Yeah, and I think it was recognize your personnel, know that Max Crosby can be a game wrecker, so mm-hmm. account for him. And I don't have any, you know, the the third and one, you know, the, your pass rush, your pass protection plan is going to be different than a third and ten, third and eight. But it was stay ahead of the chains, don't get in the obvious passing situations, don't create more turnover potential plays, because Matt Ryan's found enough of those this season. <laughs> Keep him out of those plays. And for the most part, you did that throughout the 60 minutes. So, again, of the big three, um, I wanted to give credit to Parks Frazier for that because he was the one that I think you're just kind of like, whoa. I mean, this has got to be – you talk about the ultimate job interview. Here you go. I thought he also did a good job mixing up run and pass on first down. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it felt like most times with Frank it was a run. Yes, I, I, I would agree, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of stats to kind of push push back on it, but I just thought in general you had really good balance yesterday. There are times where I'm like, man, you can't get away from the run, and just when I felt like they were, they went back to the run. Um, benefited off the play action on a lot of comebacks. Um, so, yeah, really, really solid day for the offense, um, and credit to Parks Frazier for that. 22 carries, 147 yards. The leading rusher from last year and Jonathan Taylor was back yesterday. You know, Eddie, one thing that stood out to me, offensive line, and I want to group them together with Taylor. Let's start here with the pass protection of the O-line before we get to the run game. When your O-line has been at its best this season, it was the Jacksonville game. Yes. Well, what came with that? Zero sacks, right? believe that's right and what 58 attempts or something like that Mm -hmm. you went up tempo to achieve that that kind of masked some of your offensive line issues of like hey we know we can't block these guys so we're gonna have to do this yesterday you didn't go no huddle you didn't go with this up tempo approach to try and max that now again you helped out your edges in particular with some chips and things like that but i just thought it was more of a our offensive line is better than your defensive line and we're going to show you it Whereas the Jacksonville game was, and again, smart move by Frank Reich a few weeks back when they did that, but it was more of an acceptance of, we can't block you, so we've got to do something out of the norm to try and block you. Yesterday was much more of a, our O-line's going to control the the trenches. Uh, as far as Taylor is concerned, I thought we saw a ton more just north-south. And a lot of that has to do with establishing the line of scrimmage so they aren't these free runners in the backfield, and Taylor mm-hmm. now has to adjust, and Taylor's got to go laterally. The 66-yard TD run was so well blocked. I mean, I cannot stress that enough, how beautifully blocked that was by all parties across the O-line. I think it was Mo Alley-Cox 
that got the seal off of Max Crosby, so throw him in there. And obviously, when you go back and watch it, the Raiders don't fit it very well either, which plays into it. But those plays, Eddie, that's why you drafted Jonathan Taylor in the second round. The play to ice the New England game last year. You know, you thought Taylor was worthy, a guy that's not a third down back. You thought he was worthy of a second round pick because he could give you the home run ability. And he has had many home runs, you know, throughout his NFL career, but we haven't seen it in about a year. And so for Taylor to be able to bust that at that moment, get to the second level, get to the third level, look very healthy, hitting that gear, um, that to me is a side of this offense that we haven't seen. And it was just a reminder of like, yesterday was probably the most support you've given Matt Ryan all year. Pass protection and run game. And when you do that, you're going to find an offense that can move the ball pretty consistently and put up uh, what 25 points on an afternoon. Even on an afternoon when they had a red zone turnover with the QT fumble. And Chase McLaughlin misses a field goal. As well, I don't think the guy who's going to get enough credit on that Taylor touchdown is uh, the Pittman block that he threw because he came in and I don't know which linebacker it was, but he had to throw a block against the linebacker that prevented him from filling the hole, and that's what allowed JT. Spring is it? That's what sprung it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any final notes? Such a big hole there. Yes, and it was yeah. nice to see JT pull away. Right. Too. He looked very healthy to me. I guess just lastly on it of when you're an offense right now that I think. It's just going to be the story, one of the stories of the season. You are not going to be a big play passing offense like vertically down the field. You know, you're going to have to create your big plays offensively a little bit more after the catch. So when you are not getting to that second and third level through the air, you've got to find big plays in other areas. It's just too hard to sustain those big, big drives where you chew out a ton of clock. Um, you know, there are moments in that third quarter where. The offense was kind of stalling a, a, a little bit there, and you needed to hit him. Yeah, you had gone, uh, was it punt, punt, the two previous drives? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you had gone punt, punt there. Um, oh, those are the two after drives. Excuse me. Early fourth quarter um, before you hit the touchdown there to Paris Campbell. Um, but I just thought that you needed to hit on one big play. And you responded really well from the Josh Jacobs touchdown, which gave the Raiders their first lead. Boom, 50 seconds later, Jonathan Taylor is in the open field. So, you know, what I liked, again, so much of it starts with Parks Frazier, but I think what your O-line and Jonathan Taylor gave your offense and supported Matt Ryan, not something we've mentioned enough this season. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I think it would be silly of us not to even bring up the defense closing it out there at the very end, too. Uh, Colts offense gives them the lead. They haven't had many opportunities this year to prove that they can get a stop when they need to stop. And uh, for some reason... Quarterbacks keep trying to try Stephon Gilmore on game-deciding plays. You know what? I want to go to third down before we go to fourth. Oh, down. yeah. Bobby Okereke. Bobby O. Uh, the Gilmore play doesn't happen without Bobby Okereke on third down. Um, you, know, you look at that situation there, the Raiders, Foster Moreau, you know, was starting to make some plays, and they get him on Bobby Okereke, who I didn't think had a perfect day by any means in coverage, and he gets beat there. 
and Moreau makes the play, but Okereke gets the punch, and that's, what, two weeks in a row now where he's made a huge play and prying the ball out, and that sets up fourth down. So before you get to Gilmore, it's Okereke making that huge, huge play on a ball that looked like it was a touchdown, and Moreau was just trying to secure it at that point. Just the perfect, like, violent on-target punch by Okereke to knock the ball loose. Then that sets up fourth down, and fourth down plays out. Some things stood out to me there. The Colts went all out with the blitz there. Um, If you go back and watch it, all out blitz. And I thought what that did was it took away Derek Carr from scanning. Yeah, I thought it immediately said to Carr, you've got to pick who you're throwing it to, and you got to do that right away. And obviously, if you're Carr, you're thinking to yourself, well, Devontae Adams has roasted, what, three different Colts defensive backs on this final drive? I'd be foolish not to throw it to him again. Mm-hmm. And he tried that. They threw it up to him. And Gilmore, of course, was in coverage, in man. Everybody was man across the board. If Carr has a little bit more time, he probably goes to Moreau over the middle. They look like he had Moreau over the middle in front of Rodney McLeod uh, for that drive there. Um, That's now back-to-back weeks where Bobby O has made a play. I wouldn't count the New England fumble as like a big play, but it could have been a big yeah, play. I mean, it could it have been a, a momentum shifter. But, it was a huge punch. I mean, it, yeah. it was a Darius Shaquille Leonard-type punch by Bobby on that play. And, you know, when you think about it, Eddie, it felt a little bit Washington-like for me in that fourth quarter of your pass rush was so quiet. Mm-hmm. Jacobs and Adams were looking like Jacobs and Adams. You know, I, I tweeted out before the game, this is probably the best quarterback, running back, wide receiver trio the Colts have seen all year long. Yeah. I mean, this is a potent skill group. It took a while, but, you, I mean, you were feeling them. And Derek Carr, I think, had completed like 15 to 16 at one point, he was getting in to a big-time rhythm. And so I thought to myself, man, I don't know if the pass rush is going to get it done here. Who's going to step up and make a play? And I've mentioned this several times throughout the season. The Colts have been a really solid defensive unit. One thing that's been missing, though, to me, is you haven't gotten your hands on enough balls. You just haven't. You haven't created enough turnover-type plays. If you look at the past defense number, it's really low this season for the Colts uh, compared to a lot of other teams. And when you look at both those, I don't know if the Gilmore one goes down as a pass broken up, um, but the Bobby one should definitely have. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, Gilmore had two and Bobby had one, so I guess they did give Gilmore that um, there at the end, which they probably should have. So you got your hands on both those balls. It's not like Carr threw errant passes in, in, in either of those. That was simply a better defensive play um, and in position to make a play by Okereke and Gilmore. So just an outstanding, outstanding job in closing that one out. Zaire Franklin continues to impress me, Eddie, just with his— Yes. I think his recognition just makes him look faster than he probably is as as a tester. I just think he recognizes things so well. He seems to blow up a screen or two every game. Uh, so good work from him. We'll obviously see what's up with the Quiddy Pay injury. That ankle injury is something to keep an eye on, mm-hmm. considering the Taekwon Lewis loss and where you're at right now with the defensive end depth. Because, again, the edge pass rush 
still a little bit too quiet. Your middle two showed up again in Big Grove and DeForest Buckner. Yeah, yeah, absolute studs there. So eager to see them against this Eagles offensive line coming up. Uh, While we're talking about the defense and we transition to what you didn't like, let's just start with the edge pass rush. Yeah, again, it's just like Yannick Ngakwe with a half sack. I'm like, did he deserve that? I don't know. That play like screamed Buckner to me more than anything. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should go back and 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 take a little bit of a closer look at it. But I I just want more out of Ngakwe. Um, I know Pay left early. He didn't have a. I think he played like fifteen or twenty snaps. He didn't have a tackle. I don't think he came back out of the locker room when when he was out there. He he did not come out of the locker room. That's what Lara said after halftime. She said that he was nowhere to be seen on the sideline. Dio did have a couple nice rushes um, to lead to quarterback hits. No tackles for him. Again, Banigou continues to be a mystery. The only time I noticed a feedy Odeniabo is when they threw that pitch to Jacobs and he uh, took off for a big one. So uh, you just, I think what is disappointing about the edge rush is because your interior duo is so good. Mm-hmm. So stout that you should create more opportunities, and that pocket should be pushed back for more pass rush opportunities off the edge. But you did not get that. Um, I think with the Quiddy injury, I think that helped the Raiders O line just a little bit be able to pay more attention to Buckner and to uh, Grover. I would say Grover, but Grover's not in there on every passing situation. Uh, right. But Ngakwe. I think that's probably why we didn't see the pass rush hit home a little bit more there yeah. toward the end. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I would say the other thing that just stood out to me from a what-I-didn't-like standpoint is those critical mistakes. Like, you guys know this full well. Huge believer in game flow. Huge. If Kiki Kuti doesn't fumble the ball, I think the Colts win that game by 25 points. 25? You're about to go up 17 nothing. Yeah. And the Raiders would have been bitching up a storm on the sideline. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would have been complaining like none other. They were complaining all afternoon, whining and pouting all afternoon. If you could have gone up three scores in that situation, that to me could have been backbreaking. Um, then they took that turnover and they turned it into a Foster Moreau touchdown there and get back into the game, and they were able to eat up a little bit of clock too. So I thought that was just a huge, huge play there by Kiki Kuti with that fumble. And then he also should have fielded that punt earlier late in the game. Not a good effort out of Kuti yesterday. Uh, his only offensive snap, by the way. Was that fumble? I just saw an A plus tweet on my t- on my timeline. I'll give them credit. Colts coverage. They tweet out the video of Matt Ryan with that thirty nine yard run. Their caption was Matt Ryan is in the upper quartile of the top quartile <laughs> of scrambling quarterbacks. I I did have a quartile tweet yesterday about Grover Stewart, so I I, I will fall into that trap of uh, using the quartile uh, comment on the Matt Ryan front. Eddie, the critical mistake was the sack on third and one. I had no issue with that play call. That is Kylan Granson in the flat, a very successful play for the Colts in recent years. Um, I thought that ball could have been thrown to Granson for the first down. And if nothing else, Matt Ryan's got to be a 15-year vet and a 37-year-old quarterback and know that, hey, right now, 
it's a I think it would have been a 33 yard field goal. If I'm going to take a sack here, it's got to be five or six yards. Mm-hmm. Crosby gets in his face, and all of a sudden, he turns around like he's going to keep the play alive. Yeah, I'm like, who does he think he is? Like Houdini style, trying to run back. You look like Justin Fields trying to th- trying to keep this play alive. That was a 14 yard loss on a sack. That is a huge number for a statue at quarterback. Granted, when he got in the open field yesterday. He did look like he was moving a little bit quicker than I thought he could. I That was a big play. Field goal there would have made it a two-score lead. Um, instead, Chase McLaughlin's out there for the 48-yarder, and the Chase McLaughlin slice usually just sneaks right in. That right side of the upright hits the upright, and you miss it. That was a play that we'd be talking about a whole lot more mm-hmm. if the Colts had lost that game. And then the last critical mistake, and again, this just has more to do with the Raiders not falling on it and trying to pick it up is the fumble by Michael Pittman. Um, I mean, these are big-time plays when you think about it. Coutee turnover right on the edge of the red zone. Pittman potential turnover in Raiders territory. The Matt Ryan play, to me, is like a pseudo-turnover. Yes, you still ended with a kick and you didn't allow the Raiders to you know, return a fumble or a punt or, or, or an interception, I should say, uh, for a big play, but you end up missing a field goal, so in a way, you kind of turned it over there. Um, it's just those critical mistakes that this team, you can overcome when you're playing the Raiders. You can't do that on Sunday against the Eagles. Um, I thought there was a, a phantom hold that you know we'd be talking about today as a big play. It was on that backwards pass to Devontae Adams. and Oh, yeah, Colts. 72. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a little bit of a phantom hold. The guy's on the ground, gets up, and then Adams is tackled in... The tackle, I think, ends up on the ground not too far from him. It wasn't even really a hold, but uh, you go back 10 yards. I can't remember when that was, and I don't, I don't remember what ended up happening out of that drive. Do you? Yeah. Um, I remember Adams went to the bench and pouted. It was a third and eight. Um, it seems like he's been pouting a lot more this year. And I think they ended up converting it, but I felt like that was in the first half. I, I could be wrong on that. Um, anyways... Um, yeah, those are some things that I did not like from Sunday. You ready for Twitter questions? Let's do them. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Okay, question number one comes from Matt. He has a theory as to why Matt Ryan was the starting quarterback. Parks Frazier has zero clue what to do as offensive coordinator or play caller. You start Matt Ryan because he's essentially an offensive coordinator on the field because it removes a lot of responsibility off of Parks Frazier. What are your thoughts? That's... Interesting. I understand the question there. Um, I think it's a tad bit um, over overthinking it. Um, but I guess basically everyone in that building, because you got to go back to when that decision was made, everybody in that building besides Jim Irsay thought Matt Ryan was the best option in the short term. But Jim Irsay thought Sam Ellinger was the best option. And Jim Mercer, I think, was fed up about how 
Carson Wentz and that entire operation played out with Frank Reich, of course, having a big say in it. So that is when he stepped in, and he wanted to step in a lot earlier than it happened. Um, Do you think there's some scar tissue from the Andrew Luck days where he knew that Matt Ryan was hurt and he wanted Sam in there so Matt didn't get further hurt? No, because... Or do you think it was a full-on, I want Sam? Ursay wanted him benched prior to the injury. Ursay wanted him benched after wins. Um, yeah, Denver? Or, yeah, I'm trying to think of what... Yeah, would it have been Denver? Yeah. Um, now, do I think Matt Ryan helps Parks Frazier? Yeah, but you know, if you look at the Jeff Saturday timeline, again, it's not necessarily how that played out of mm-hmm. like, hey, we're going to Parks at, at offense coordinator, that means we're going to Matt Ryan as quarterback. I think it came a point in time where Jim Mercy's like, okay, I trust you, Jeff Saturday. And Jim Mercy wants us to work out. He wants he really, really wants us to work out. I'm not saying he didn't want Frank Reich to work out, but the guy now has more trust of the owner than the previous guy had. And I just think that's the reality of the situation. Um so I again I understand the theory. I think it's a little bit overthinking it though. Um, but it, Matt Ryan, I think, certainly helps and, and should help you on the field. Colts maniac. If Frank Reich is still calling the plays, do the Colts still get the win yesterday? Did the team have a different energy under Jeff Saturday? Um, it's impossible to know on that first one. I mean, I I, I do think the energy um, wouldn't have been the same, to your point of did the team seem to have different energy under Saturday? Um, I I think that's probably where the biggest difference comes from. Um, again, look at the results, the lead through every quarter, having the halftime lead. You know, Eddie rattled off those stats a little bit earlier. Um, and I just think I was texting back and forth with Tucker Barnhart, and for those that don't know, Tucker, um, local guy here in the Indy area, big Colts fan, plays for the Detroit Tigers, played for the Reds for a long time, um, and he was, I guess, I just share the text. Because I couldn't agree more with his thinking on this. Of you know, I've mentioned oftentimes. You guys have heard me say this about the that CEO leader type, and I said that to him. I go, I think NFL teams need more of that CEO leaders head coach. It felt like Reich was in over his head trying to juggle the play calling. Um, he goes, hundred percent agree. I look at it like the NBA to be honest. Sure, there are spots to call plays and insert your stamp in certain moments, but a lot of times you've got to let your guys go play or pass off the load to that position coach or to the coordinator. Lead your team, insert your thoughts and plays when necessary, get out of the way, and again, most importantly, lead. I think that is a big, big belief that I have Mm -hmm. as well with that. Um, Now, of course, stringing anything together, that is the next question that arises, but... Um, the team definitely had a different energy. And I think, arguably, Eddie, no matter what change they could have made, like, they might have had a different energy with Bubba Ventrone as the interim head coach. Yeah. You know, I I don't want to act like this is just solely Saturday. Do I think Saturday has a lot of leadership qualities that it's easy to gravitate towards? Certainly. And as I laid out earlier in the podcast, I thought he handled things beautifully from... Um, where we're at right now and me coming in here and how that looks and how that's a bit skeptical and all of that. He was transparent from day one. And I thought that was really important. Um, you know, th- I think something that also helps him out, Eddie, is like his background. 
He was not some five-star quarterback that just dominated NFL life, dominated football life. I mean, he was an undrafted free agent and was working at, what, a paint store when he got the call from the Colts? I mean, this was not some easily traveled NFL path for Jeff Saturday. Yeah. And I think once players feel that story and hear that story, that will help him resonate even more. Uh, Craig is up next, and he says, considering that Coach Saturday labeled Sam Ellinger as a starting quarterback earlier in the week, he was playing games with the Las Vegas Raiders, and he already knew he was going to go with Matt Ryan. Yeah, I don't... Again, I don't think that was the case there. Um, You know, it's interesting, Eddie. Usually when we get to the Friday presser, it's kind of a throwaway presser. And there's not a lot of news items. I mean, sure, you have some injury questions, but it's not a lot. I decided to write something off that presser, which is not something I typically do, because I was not 100% sure what they're going to do at quarterback walking out of that press room. Um, I go on with Dan Dockich every Friday at 2 right after that, and I said to Dan, like, that leash is going to be incredibly quick on Sunday for Sam Ellinger. And you know what? I'll almost believe Sam Ellinger's the QB when I actually see him under center mm-hmm. on Sunday. The Saturday vibes in that presser were, he was like blown away by what Matt Ryan showed him in practice on Thursday and Friday. Yeah. So I think he had this idea on his mind, but he needed to see Thursday reps and Friday reps to confirm it. Matt Ryan hadn't practiced in two weeks, so I think you got to point that out as well. Um, and I guess moving forward now, to the game plan point that Craig asks, the surprise factor is not going to be there for the Eagles. You know, the Raiders, I assume, game plan for Sam Ellinger all week. Yes. The Eagles obviously will game plan for Matt Ryan all week. Yeah. Um, so I don't, did that help out Parks Frazier? Did that help out the offense? And that, you know, you had a lot of, hey, we need to have a spy or we need to, you know, count for more of a leg element to this quarterback. You obviously didn't need to. It was a really quick rhythm passing game. Um, which probably would have been there with Sam, but I think it would have been a different looking passing game. Um, I, I, I think those are some things that won't be to the Colts' benefit now moving forward. Uh, Jason asks, were the Colts, A, the more talented team, better coach team on the road against the Raiders, or the Colts may have been the more talented team versus a depleted Raiders team coaching non-factor? Oh, coaching was huge. Yeah, definitely better coached. I mean, the guys just bought into what the Colts were doing. And again, I'll go back to the higher character element. I, I think that's a big deal. I mean, the Raiders have cut how many first-round picks in a row? All of them from the Gruden era. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a joke. I mean, the Raiders have some talent, like in the individual spots. I mean, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, and Max Crosby are borderline all-pro at all three of those spots. Um, but... I'm sitting there watching it, and again, until the Pittman fumble happened, I really didn't think the Colts were going to lose that game. When Pittman put the ball on the turf, and it was bouncing around there for that two or three seconds, I thought, oh my God, they're going to lose this? Like I just felt like the Colts were in control, going to win that game, even though they got down at one point. And a big reason why, Eddie, is, I mean, what is that? Is that six of their seven losses or one possession for the Raiders? Yes. They find ways to lose. And I think they've had the lead in all of their losses, but like one. I mean, the hell, they had a fourth quarter lead yesterday. Yeah. Um, that was a ideal opponent for your first game as an NFL head coach. I mean, if you got, if you literally handed Jeff Saturday 
31 of those teams and said, which team do you want to play? He's not getting very far down the list before he names the Raiders. Especially when you consider his tweet from a week <laughs> exactly. ago. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, all of that played out. So, you know, I don't want to, like, diminish the Colts' talent. I think the Colts are talented in some areas. I mean, the Raiders were running linebackers out there that, I mean, I had never even heard of mm-hmm. how decimated they were with how the week played out of, you know, their leading tackler goes on IR. Their leading tackler from last week, uh, Retires. Retires. Denzel Perryman practices, but then is out, and he's one of their better linebackers. Like it's just wild how all of it un- unfolded. But cut Abram. Cut Jonathan Abrams. Yeah. More than anything, Colts were the better coach team, and the penalty stat I think indicates all of that. Just watch how the Raiders reacted to stuff. Watch how the Colts reacted. Yep. Two totally different mindsets. Yep. I totally agree with you there. Uh, Drew and E have this next question. Uh, is it wrong of me to be frustrated that the Colts won or continue to try to win? The Colts need better draft capital to invest in a future quarterback. Are you excited about this team, or can they not even get losing rights? Yeah, Eddie, and I realize, and I think I've tried to point this out in recent weeks, we have a split fan base. I can't tell you how many texts I got from like friends and group texts being like, do we want to win? I'm confused about this. And I, I mean, hell, the Pacers are in the same boat right now. Yep. You know, it, it's just this awkward time to be a fan. Um, I found myself looking back on how the entire week unfolded, all the chaos, all the soap opera, and thought, you know what? Screw it. Screw it. I think this fan base, and I think that locker room, and I think Jeff Saturday, they deserve a W. Um, Shut up the national media. Yeah, certainly, obviously, the Joe Thomas and Bill Cower comments probably brought brought more of that into light. Um, and again, I know that goes against my theory of when it's off the rails and you're not going anywhere January-wise, just lose. Um, and that's, I think, where these questions are coming from. So I understand that it's torn. And probably what ad makes matters worse is you watch the Steelers and Lions win at 1 o'clock and you're thinking, hey, man, slide up in that draft order, and you obviously don't get it done there um, later. I think that one aspect to the season that seemingly is done now is the Sam Ellinger evaluation. Yeah. Now, Eddie, I've never been a believer that Sam Ellinger is starting quarterback material, but I thought the eight-game evaluation that you were going to get on him would at least answer that question for good. Again, it would eliminate my thought. It would give you an actual answer on it. That is gone. So I think that is the awkward element of like, you have an emotionally charged owner making decisions right now. Mm -hmm. Now, is Jeff Saturday a little bit of a stabling force in all of this? But the other big picture questions are like, at some point, Jeff Saturday will potentially have a decision to make himself of, like, does he want to do this? And Jeff Saturday could go and, you know, Colts go 4-4 four and four to end the year, miss the playoffs by a game, or two games, and Jeff Saturday could be like, that was fun, that was great, but you know what? Making a million at ESPN and only having to work two or three days a week sounds a whole lot better. I'm like, Reggie <laughs> Wayne, every time I talk to Reggie Wayne, he strikes me as a dude that's like, I cannot wait for the season to end. Like, he <laughs> likes coaching, but the hours are just incredible. And the Joe Thomas rant from Friday, I thought he pointed out the Rob Chudzinski anecdote in that rant of like, 
your hours, it is insane to be an NFL head coach and think about that. So again, Saturday is going to have that decision to make at one point when he removes himself from the emotional post-game locker rooms and just and, and the joy of all that. Another question that I have after yesterday, and this kind of falls in line with the Ellinger thing, is are we watching Matt Ryan quarterback this team again next year? Is that too short-term reaction by me? Or is anyone else thinking the same thing? Like, to me... I think you've that question is now back on the table. And to me, it's kind of a scary question. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about the future of this franchise and what is best for this team over the next five to ten years. But with yesterday's news and how Jeff Saturday, I think, looks at Matt Ryan and the financial implications of it, that question is now back on the table. So, um, again, it's just uh, it's complicated. It's very complicated right now. Drew, <coughs> excuse me, they get choked up thinking about it. Drew and E totally understand it, and I totally get that. There's some some fans that are saying the Titans going to lose on Thursday night football to Green Bay, and we're going to get the Eagles on a short week. We're going to go to Lucas Oil Stadium. We're going to win that game and cheer for wins, 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 wins. Here's the thing that I would say, uh, tying this into Cody's Twitter question here. Um, the way Will Levis has been playing the last couple of weeks has not been great. He is a big traits guy. Anthony Richardson the same way. So with that, do you think Chris Ballard is staying another year? I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot on Twitter about the scouts looking into for, uh, future quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson, Richardson and Will Levis were reportedly being scouted by the Colts this past week. Uh-huh. Uh, and Cody feels like Jim Ursay wants Chris Ballard to make the quarterback decision. I know you've talked about this on the pod. Has your opinion changed or swayed at all? And the reason why I brought up the Will Levis and Anthony Richardson not playing well with the big traits kind of thing, that fits into Ballard's approach as a general manager plus if you do have Matt Ryan under contract. Yeah, pass the torch a little. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I hear all of that out. Um, Eddie, I think let's start with the first part of Cody's question. Do you think Chris Bauer is staying another year? I mean, I'll you, say if the Colts win, then yes. You watch his body language Monday night. <laughs> the Colts literally didn't put up a photo gallery on their website because of Chris Bauer's poor body language from Monday night. <laughs> I mean, like, think about that. I mean... At times, I thought I was looking at Rosie when I, you know, I didn't turn on Sing Two for her. By the way, great movie. I think of Clay Calloway and Sing Two as Matt Ryan. Just all of a sudden, he's coming back. This grand entrance. I think of Matt Ryan running out of the tunnel on Sunday. Um, I know there's a small section of our audience that will even understand that reference, but for any of our young parents out there, um, they can hopefully nod their head at that. Um, the Ballard thing is weird, dude. It's weird. It's weird on a lot of levels. I feel like Jeff Saturday has Jim Irsay's ear a lot more than Chris Ballard. You saw the report from NFL Network on Sunday morning before the game. Ian Rappaport mentioning in that story that not only Chris Ballard, but Pete Ward, the chief operating officer uh-huh. for the Colts, who's pretty much like another Irsay, been with the organization since 84, that both of them tried to talk Irsay out of this decision. So, where does Ballard fit into all of this? Is Saturday the personnel man, too? Does he get final say with this stuff? Mm-hmm. There's an element, if you're, and boy, the even the post-game locker room scene was kind of awkward yesterday. Like, <laughs> Ursay's calling up Matt Ryan and Chris Ballard. If I'm Matt Ryan, I want to be like, wait, dude, you wanted me benched a month ago. 
why uh-huh. why are you like calling me up here at this moment um i i have no idea on ballard no idea again predicting jim ursay if you could do that man we should you should be working a lot of different jobs in this country um if i'm chris ballard i would want my voice really heard i'd want my voice heard first before anybody else in the organization that's what I was hired to do. That's what I was told would be the case. And this is my opinion. I no longer think that's the case. So I guess it's a couple of things, Eddie. Um, one, is Jeff Saturday going to be here long term? And is he going to be the head coach here? And if that's the case, I almost think Jeff Saturday gets say in what to do at GM. Which I know is not how typical NFL hierarchy works. Yeah. That's the vibe that I get. The other question that I have is... If you're Chris Ballard, and this would take betting on yourself, but would you want to be here? Would you resign? Which I know might sound crazy. You know, he's got young kids still going through the you know local school districts here in Indianapolis, and he's under contract through 2026, and he's built this roster and has been very patient with all of that and all those things. So this might be a ludicrous question, but if my voice is not being heard or not being heard enough, do I trust my resume and say, I'm going to go somewhere else where the owner is not as hands-on and will let me have full autonomy over the decisions that I need? Does that play into his thinking at all? Um, So I know it's a really roundabout way, Cody. I'm very torn on it. Um, I guess to kind of summarize, I think there's a – if Jeff Saturday wants to be here, there's a better chance Jeff Saturday's here next year than Chris Ballard. Now, will both of them be here? I don't know. Looks a little awkward. I could see Ursay going down that route, but I don't think it's just a one-way street of whatever Ursay wants that's going to happen. If I were Ballard, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have to have a long conversation about it. Uh, while we're talking about Chris Ballard, skip down a couple questions, get to Tyler. Um, from what you've seen or heard over the past 72 hours, what do you think happens with Chris Ballard as of March 1st, 2023? What percentage would you put each of these at? First, steps down as general manager. Second, gets let go by Jim Irsay. Or three, stays for 2023. Who asks this? Tyler. Um, boy, that's a great unknown. What percentage would you put at each? Steps down as GM, gets let go by Ursay or stays for 2023? Let me start here. I do think Chris Ballard is intrigued by Jeff Saturday and the leadership element. I could see that. It's a big Ballard belief. I do think that is intriguing to him. Now, obviously Saturday in the front office is like, ooh boy. Steps down as GM, gets let go by Ursay or stays for 2023. I'd say stays for 2023 at 40%. Steps down as GM at 30. What does that leave me? 30 more. Gets let go by Ursay at 30. But I don't feel... Tyler, it's a very hard question. Again, I do not say this with a ton of confidence. It's very hard. Again, it's hard to read an emotionally charged owner. But Chris Bauer also plays things very close to the vest. Yep. I mean, I think there's a reason why... And I hope I made this clear with my tone throughout the last few months. I always felt like the seat was much, much warmer for Frank Reich than Chris Ballard. Mm-hmm. You know, again, there are reasons for my thought with that. Um, I, I I don't have a great read 
on the situation. Uh, Brett is up next. At what point do we start realistically preparing for 53, a.k.a. Shaq Leonard, to abruptly retire? Yeah, I'm glad Brett threw this in here because we haven't talked about Leonard. And again, Eddie, this kind of played into the Friday story I felt like I needed to write. Yeah. Um, Shaquille Leonard on injured reserve. I believe the latest report from Adam Schefter was he's going to see like a... A surgeon, a neck specialist. A neck specialist in L.A., is that right? Yeah. Um, My initial, couple initial thoughts on it. He shouldn't play the rest of the season. We're talking nerve. We're talking regeneration of those nerves. We're talking about, and I thought Linder was really candid on Thursday, being like, that nerve still is not firing in my calf. And so I've got to have tons and tons of film study to make up for how my body is physically feeling. And the MRI indicated a setback. So in my opinion, we do not need to see Shaquille Leonard the rest of the season. I think it's the best for his own good. And right now your linebacker group is playing pretty good football for you. Um, so it's at least four games. So that, what, takes him into the bye week? I guess he yeah. can come back for the final four. Is it even the final four? Vikings, Char- yeah, Vikings, Chargers, Giants, and Texans. Um, look, medically, I know nothing, Eddie. I know nothing. It's the part of my job I hate the most. But just look back on things. I'm sure there's an element from fans of like, should the Colts have given him that contract extension? You know, he signed that deal last August, so 2021 August, the $100 million deal. That was two months after he had had that ankle surgery. Uh, remember, he he missed so much time at camp. A lot mm-hmm. of people thought he was holding out, but I think a lot of it was clearly coming back from this ankle. Obviously, he has the big numbers last year. He missed the just one. He missed the only game. Uh, I think it was just one game. You saw limitations. You you, you saw concerns. Um, so I, hindsight is super twenty twenty. On handing him that extension, so I'm not going to go down that path. I I just look at this news and I think we're talking about a nerve regeneration of that nerve in the back that impacts his lower body. He's a guy that his game is so predicated on elite athleticism in space. He's not 245 pounds and just shedding dudes in the run game and making plays as a linebacker that way. He's best in space. I just worry about him. The mental challenges from last year. You throw a concussion and a broken nose on top of it this year. It's just a lot. And I think he's been very open about mentally on and off the field what this has done to him. Um it's been a very murky injury situation, so awkward throughout. I mean, Shaquille Leonard's up there in late May talking about, of, hey, I think we're good. I don't think we need any more surgeries. And then on June 7th, he's got back surgery. It, it, it's, you know, misdiagnosed. I, I, he had a fusion, didn't he? A fusion surgery, I think is what he said, a spinal fusion surgery. For the pinched nerve, right, yeah. in, his, in, in his back. Um, it just, they haven't had a handle on this from day one. And part of that's a medical field, just you know, flat out. That's that's the medical field. Um, you know, he mentioned no power in his leg. I mean, all this stuff just sounds like it. just sit him out for the rest of the season. Yeah, and reevaluate. And you know what, Eddie, linebacker has not been very high on the priority list at all. 
in recent off-seasons. But the Colts will have some decisions to make at linebacker this off-season. Because Bobby Okereke is a free agent. EJ Speed's a free agent. Shaquille Leonard signed through 2025. Zaire Franklin's got two more years on that deal. Um, you know, When I think about it and think of EJ Speed and Bobby Okereke, I think when Leonard has been on the field, you've brought Bobby off the field. EJ Speed's a guy that has the will linebacker traits, probably more in the Eberflus defense. Is that something that matters more in this defense? Um, so I, I've my head has gone a lot towards the future at linebacker. What does that look like? Is Gus Bradley the defensive coordinator here next year? Again, all these questions are now relevant that Frank Reich's been fired. What does your defense look like next year? Does your defensive coordinator value linebacker like the previous one did? Or is it like Roquan Smith and Matt Eberflus in Chicago? Yeah. And Ballard has been great, great at drafting linebackers. All over the draft. Yeah. So that's another thing you have to factor in of like, do you let Speed and Okereke walk thinking... Hey, we're going to find a linebacker in the draft because that's what is Ballard here to run that draft. I mean, there's so many of these questions, and I know I'm all over the place in this answer, so I apologize, Brett, but there's just so many questions I have about Leonard, his own well-being, his own health. What does he look like playing football again? Does he play football again? I assume he he doesn't strike me as a guy that's just going to you know, Cole and Andrew Luck, I, I don't think the things, um, I think there are similarities, but I don't think they are entirely similar. Obviously, one of the biggest differences, though, and this would be negatively to look on it, this injury is a lot more serious and a lot more troublesome than Luck's injury situation was with yeah. the calf. Um, I will say, with the Leonard contract, there is a potential out in 2024. After 24. Uh, I would be after the 23 season leading up to the got 24 so season. Play here next year? Yeah, he's got a cap hit of $20 million next year with a dead cap of 24. Um, and starting next season, he has a active per-game bonus of $30,000 per game that he's active. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of decisions to be made, Eddie, on this front. Um, and $9 million of his salary becomes fully guaranteed on March 20th. And there's the other element of like just how much money do you want to invest at linebacker? Yeah. You know, do you get a point? I mean, Zaire Franklin's making, you know, decent money. Obviously, he's living up to it, but you know, that's another thing that you have to look into as well. So, um again, things can change, but when you've dealt with this for over a year, you had back surgery in June, and with seven games to go in the regular season, you're now going to see a next specialist in Los Angeles. Just shut them down. Shut them down for the year. Next qu- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Question is from Chris. Uh, at this point in the season, which coaches, if any, do you think are retained on the coaching staff in 2023? Could the development of Alec Pierce and the emergence of Paris Campbell be enough for Reggie Wayne to keep his job with a new regime? Surprised to see no catches for Alec Pierce yesterday. He only had two targets, right? 
That was probably the best coverage that WebKit anybody's had on Pierce, and that was one-on-one outside the number throw. That was another element of getting back to... And he had that drop. Ryan. Yeah, he had the drop. On the first possession. Is that Rock? Yes. Got his hand in there? Yes. Man, Matt Ryan just did not did not try things too, too vertically. Quick game all around the building. Okay, um... Which coaches could I see? I mean, boy, another impossible question. <laughs> you know, so much of it depends on, again, who's making these calls. I am, this is just me as like an objective observer. Part of me wants to see Jeff Saturday become the head coach, Eddie, because I am fascinated to see what a Jeff Saturday coaching staff looks like. Yeah. You know, the Dan Orlovsky comments last week, you know there's some other people probably that he views in that light. Um, would be fascinated to see how all of that plays out. Um, let me start here because I didn't get a chance to talk about Parks Frazier on last week's podcast. I like the Parks Frazier move, and again, I believe that the coordinator position was offered to some other people um, before Parks got it. But I like this move because every NFL team is looking for the next Sean McVay. Yep. The hot, young offensive mind. And you know what? The Colts need it more than anybody right now because they're going to have to make a developmental move at quarterback. So you need to pair that up. Maybe it's not Parks Frazier, maybe it's somebody else. But you've got to pair that up of finding the young offensive mind with the quarterback. And so could Parks Frazier be that guy? That is something that, again, might seem a little lofty and who knows. But to me, that makes a little bit more sense than just seeing like a retread of an offensive coordinator coach. Uh Again, does Reggie Wayne want to coach, continue to coach? Like, I, I think that's kind of a fair question. Um, you know, as far as Chris Ballard influence, I mean, Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone are guys he really, really likes. Yep. And Bubba especially. Um, I, Chris, I do not have a very good feeling on any of this because there's so many moving parts. Is Ballard here? Is Saturday here? Are you keeping the same scheme on – on the defense. Jeff Saturday has mentioned he would talk to John Lynch and Peyton Manning and he'd have a drawer of, if I ever get a head coaching job, these are the coaches I want to hire. I assume those are some guys that aren't in the building right now on West 56th Street. Does Saturday feel the need to you know, find that mix of some guys from your current staff and some guys from, from a new staff if indeed he's the guy moving forward? Is he a fan of this defense? Does he want to get back to a Tampa 2 style, yeah. which is more in the Eberflus era? Again, all of these things um, running through my head. But I would say Bubba Ventrone would strike me as a guy that no matter who was here, they would like to retain. Um, I mean, You would assume if Parks Frazier continued to show, if he's not the OC, would he become your QB coach? You know, he's just assistant QB coach right now. So that's a really good question, Chris. But as far as Reggie Wayne, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think there's been some nice development with the uh, with the wideout. I have a pair of questions from Jacob uh, pertaining to the 
game yesterday. Uh, first, Jacob says, I don't know if the Jeff Saturday experiment worked out at all, but I have to say I'm more excited to get behind this team with the change that's happened than going forward with what they were doing. You talk about the toughness that Mike Rabel brings, and I kind of feel like that's what Jim Irsay is trying to bring here with this move. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll work out, but I honestly hope it does because it would make for a really cool story. What do you think has to happen for Jeff Saturday to be a full-time, legit head coach for the Indianapolis Colts? Yeah, I want to go back to something I tweeted out before the game on Sunday, Eddie. Two things I wanted to see from Jeff Saturday's football team yesterday. Offensive line communication to be on the same page and an urgency earlier in games. And again, with the caveat of you were playing the Raiders, your offensive line communicated very well. You had a unit that allowed one hit the entire afternoon. I didn't see free free rushers, free blitzers. I didn't see Matt Ryan under duress having to throw the ball away. Um, I saw stunts you know, handled very nicely. And then when you talk about the urgency front of things, I mean, you got off to a 10-0 lead with, what, 12 minutes ago in the second quarter and on the doorstep of going up 17-0 until Kiki Kuti coughed it up. So um, for my own short-term one-game evaluations, he checked the boxes for me. To Jacob's question, boy, and I felt like I've said this several times, so I apologize, but I'm speaking honestly – how do you evaluate him? Like, what what is the evaluation for Jeff Saturday? Yeah, wins and losses, offensive line play. You sit in on every team meeting and you listen to him in those atmospheres. Like, a lot of it is just it's just odd. It's just a really odd situation. You can say it's about any interim coach. But one that, you know, again, lacks the coaching experience that Saturday does, I think it's even a little bit weirder. Um, I'll say this. He's got an emotionally charged owner that is obsessed with him making the final decision. Again, you've brought in a third party, but you know the third party, and you want him to work out. That's typically not what business owners do in these sorts of situations. So for Jeff Saturday's sake, he's got a biased decision maker decision maker that wants this to work out and I'll stand by what I've said since last week I'm of the thinking as long as Saturday keeps the ship somewhat afloat and and you know Sunday was an important first step in that it'll be up to him whether he wants to be here next year or not I think Jim Irsay will will want this to happen now Jim Irsay on November, November 14th and Jim Irsay on November 15th could be two totally different stories, similar to his benching of Matt Ryan back in early October to now allowing Jeff Saturday to remove said shackles there. So, boy, Jacob, I, I, I'm trying to get my mind around it of what exactly that evaluation would be. I apologize, but if Ursay, if Saturday wants to be here, I think he will be. Uh, we have one final question from yesterday, and then we have a handful um, from prior to the game in Vegas. Do you still have time to get to those from Vegas, or you just want to wrap it up after this next one? Yeah, I assume the other ones are kind of bigger picture. Uh, yeah. They, maybe, maybe we save those for Wednesday. Okay. Uh, last one is from Jacob then. I don't understand why the media is saying how much of a clown show 
the Indianapolis Colts are right now. I've talked to many people from a fan's perspective since this happened, and they all seem to be more excited and optimistic. If the Jeff Saturday experiment does nothing and we're even worse than we were, then okay, fine, we get a top pick. But if we somehow make something great out of it, this mess, um, okay, then great, it works in our favor for the future of coaching. We complained about how bad Frank Reich was doing with this team, very slowly regressing, and that all the Colts had won all the Colts had done was won one playoff game with Frank Reich. Now that he's fired, the media wants to talk about his winning record like we made a mistake in releasing him. Thoughts? Yeah, Jacob, I appreciate this this side of it. Um, I certainly think there's merit for Frank Reich to be fired. Um, I think the issue people have organizationally is how Jeff Saturday has gone about handling things lately. Of again, it's clearly emotionally charged sorts of decisions. It's an owner hiring people to be put in place and not letting them handle those things um, with hirings or things like that. Um, and I just think it's a slippery slope of what if Ursay continues to do this? At what point does that turn away potential candidates if and when it comes a time that that is needed? And do we see this grow? Do we see this fester a little bit more of like, this was a big, big issue with his father. Is this something that you see develop there? I mean, it sounds like so many of the important people inside of that building were completely caught off guard by Ursay and how he handled it. You know, just little stuff of like not firing Frank Reich in person. Um you know, if Jeff Saturday again says no, I'm very curious to see how the NFL world would react to this head coaching opening yeah, and how sought after it would be. At the end of the day, there's just 32 of these, so you know people are not going to turn it away constantly, but I think that's a very fair question to be asked. Um, and then again, how does Chris Ballard look at Jim Irsay viewing him of, you hired him to be the general manager, now all of a sudden is the head coach above him in the hierarchy. It's a lot of mixed messaging. It's a lot of inconsistencies. Um, and again, I'm saying a lot of this from Jacob's referencing national media. I cannot tell you how many people high up in the Colts organization were so appalled at Jim Mercer's press conference last Monday. This is not just me or my colleagues or fans watching this. These are people internally in that building when Jim Mercer is signing their checks. Yep. And I would think the thing that maybe stands out the most to me from that Monday presser was just how defiant he was. I thought Greg Doyle had a really good phrase of, it was a press conference where Jim Irsay wanted everyone to kiss his rings. When in reality, the rings are very, very dusty. And you haven't been the franchise that you once were. Yeah. Um, the actions, were there reasons and merit to make the moves Ursay has done? Yes, but I think it's the handling of them that has rubbed people the wrong way. And it's just an owner that came off very power trippy on Monday of like, I only hire winners. I don't hire <laughs> losers. And I'm like, well, we're here because you just fired the head coach. So in some way... That move, listening to that previous era, Dungy, Manning, Saturday, all of them, that has led to us being here 
on Monday night. I think that is what rubbed people the wrong way. It was a refusal to kind of live in reality. And I've said this all often, and in typical Ursay fashion, and again, I understand why he did it, but like Ursay has been all season long, we hear from him after a win. We don't hear from him after losses. Obviously, we're going to hear from him yesterday. Now, when the national media is that outspoken as they were and attacking Ursay, totally understand why he wanted to chat yesterday after the game. But where were you when stuff was hitting the fan earlier in the season? And you, you talked built, after the game yesterday? And you built up the Tennessee game. Oh, yeah. I didn't oh, hear yeah. that. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. He, he was on his golf cart. Uh, media, I think Wish TV had some video and audio from that. Um, he, he wasn't I – mean, I, I thought he was pr- pretty reserved, honestly, in that moment. Um, that explains why I didn't see it then. So I, I feel like it's more of just a – this is kind of a slippery slope. Yeah. Of if you continue to think that that era is going to cure all and you think that your organization, the fact that you are in the upper quartile of upper quartile of wins. And not knowing how to make sausage. It, yes, correct. Um, when you haven't won a division title in eight years and Houston, Jacksonville, and Tennessee have all done you know, better than you in the division title playoff race, I think that is what is frustrating to fans are just kind of like, wait, what? That is the appalling aspect of it. So, um, again, I felt like there was merit for Frank Reich to be fired. I, I, I think you guys have heard me say that. But how Ursay has kind of gone about it, um, it lends to think what else is coming. You know, just because, whatever, one emotionally charged move might lead to a successful one. If you continue to operate in this manner, it's probably a recipe to not have a very successful, smooth, consistent operation. His best era of football was with Bill Polian, Peyton Manning, and Tony Dungy running the show. Ursa taking the backseat. When he's been involved, that's when you've had some rockier moments. So I think him making sure that when the time comes to take a backseat, he does that. And maybe the Jeff Saturday hires exactly what the organization needs and that that is somebody in place that I think he really, really trusts. Now, again, how much do you want to put on Saturday's plate? Does he want to be in the front office? Does he want to be a head coach? we still got a lot of questions to answer there. But I'm curious to see how all of it will unfold. Uh, one final thing for me. I think it's, as much as some fans don't want to see the Colts win, I think it's like very important for them to win because of the message that Ursay sent pretty much league wide with the hiring of Jeff Saturday, and how he was, how he was glad that he doesn't have experience because he's not afraid. Right. So I think it's even more important for them to go out and win because Saturday at the end of the day he says I don't want to coach, and then now you send the message to everyone else is like, look, this guy came in and he can win with this team. What can you do? Yeah, that's that's an interesting side of it. Um, again, I still feel like. That quarterback question just right. lingers, you know. Yeah. And what do you do with Ryan and all of that? It's two things can be true. You can sit here and look at yesterday's win and be like, "Man, what a great feeling!" For three hours to finally feel like it wasn't a soap opera, to watch the football team win, to see Jeff Saturday's pure joy, oh yeah, and just genuine nature. He always comes off that way. That is an awesome feeling, I think, for a ton of Colts fans. At the same time, it erases 
little to none of the big picture questions that we had on this podcast six days ago. Yeah, bro. Uh, <laughs> those questions are still very, very alive. I mean, to be fair, those can't be solved right now. We're just going to have to play the season out and see how all of it will unfold. But nonetheless, 25-20, Colts win. Eddie Garrison, anything else? No, sir. I swear, if we do a Tuesday pod, I'll, I'll cry. Me too. I'll cry. Only if it's good news, though. That's the only... There's never good Tuesday news. They're going to hire Peyton Manning? Yeah. Don't rule it out, remember? Yeah, exactly. All right, he's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great start of the week. We'll talk to you Wednesday afternoon. Kevin's Corner.